This is the Living Prophets Podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Maxmeister. In this episode, I'm going to be tackling what I call the liberal myth. I myself am quite liberal in my ideas, so I'm talking about myself through a lot of this. Do you find yourself in conversations with people who believe all the right things, but still seem to be stuck, unable to act in any meaningful way to fight racism? Unable to see the injustice surrounding them in their own lives? Unable to recognize the privileges and blessings they are surrounded with? They are stuck inside a myth. The myth is that Simply not wanting to be a racist makes us not racist. And simply supporting the right laws in this country and even going out and protesting for those changes is enough. It's just a quarter of the anti-racist work that all conscientious people, including myself, have to undertake. This is a daily practice, a discipline. It's not simply a decision you make, like deciding what your favorite color is. So let me lay out the four elements of anti-racism work and point out that Martin Luther King and his movement was embodying all four of these. The obvious one is policy change. Changing the laws, working so that things are fair at a legal, governmental level. But you also have to work on yourself. You have to work on your relationships. You have to work on how you spend your money and your influence. So I would label those as policy, spiritual, social, and economic. So spiritual is the work we do on ourselves to understand the implicit bias we have, to recognize and appreciate the privilege we have, and to use that privilege to try to undo that privilege Social is about right relationship. Think about all the people in your life, in your circle, and how you're saying or not saying certain things underscore or amplify certain messages. I'm in the middle of a three-year commitment to an awkward, uncomfortable conversation with people I love on these subjects. It's not going to get any easier, but I hope that it may lead to a bit more honesty. A great example of what I mean by spiritual and social work that we all have to do is a story told often by the Catholic bishop in the city where I grew up about his first meeting Mother Teresa and how that transformed his understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. The Archbishop said to me, I want you to meet this little woman from India. I think the two of you hit it off. Well, that was Mother Teresa. When I saw her, I thought she was Hare Krishna, the way she was dressed. And she came, I picked her up at uh, Catholic University. By the time 8 o'clock came, I knew she was an extraordinary woman. She would say to me, why do you keep running to the door? I said, Mother, a half a block from here is a place for homeless people, and I make sandwiches at night, and I stack them in the refrigerator and feed the people all through the day. What else do you give them? I said, well, I make pretty good soup. I have coffee and cookies. What else? There's nothing else to give. She said, do you give your heart? You know, you can say to a hungry person, here's a sandwich, now get away. 
here's a dollar bill, don't bother me now. She said, if you're going to love people, the heart has to be involved in it. The heart is part of what it's all about. You're not social workers. You are disciples of Jesus reaching for Jesus and the other. So we, we talked for hours and then she said to me, I'm going to keep in contact with you. First thing I know, I got a call from her, from India. She said to me, uh, you're coming in two weeks to give me a retreat. I said, I'm not coming to India. She said, I wrote your letter. I didn't get the letter. I can't afford to go to India. She said, you'll come and put the phone down on me. I said, you don't fool with saints, you know. They, he might listen, you're in trouble. So anyway, a friend said to me, I'll pay your way if you have her pray for me. She said, that woman's a saint. Well, it took me three days to get there. She said, you must come by British Airlines. So I had to go to New York and wait for midnight plane. When I got there, her nun showed up with big, huge crates. I said, what's that? They said, you're taking this to mother. I said, I don't have $100 to my name. I can't afford that. British Airlines said, be quiet. Queen Elizabeth said, when mother gets it, everything goes free. So off I went with these things. Well, I get to India, and I thought Washington was hot. There, it must have been 120. I got off the place, she's waiting. She says, where are my things? I said, I thought you wanted me. She says, yes, but I want my things. She really enriched my life as a priest. One time in India, um, at the house for the lepers, uh, the brought a poor man, an elderly man dying, and mother asked me to bless him, but blessed him. And then a sister brought this big uh, container of you know, warm water and towels, and mother said, and we, we, we cleaned him. And of course, I never washed a lap. I didn't know what to do. She sensed the you know, uncertainty and smiled. She said, Father, don't fear. She said, if you see with your eyes, you'll see nothing but a leper. If you see with your heart, you'll see Jesus lying here. She told me, she said, when you go to, to your door to feed the poor, remember that Jesus standing there saying, don't you recognize me? And give them your heart, not just the, the sandwich in your hand. You know, it's extraordinary. It's such a simple way to live. But my memories of mother is, I was truly in the presence of a woman who was totally totally filled with love and kindness in a world that needs us so desperately today. Let's talk more about the economic influence you have as a person spending money every day. Look at your biggest investments. Did you buy a house in a non-diverse neighborhood? Has your bank practiced redlining in the past? There are thousands of banks to choose from. Did you buy a car from a company that was a union buster or exploited poor people and moved their factories to places where people would have less of a voice? What are the values of the companies that you give most of your money to? Look at your retirement investments. Are they predominantly in large U.S. companies that remain silent about race and racism? Or do those companies implicitly benefit from exploiting marginalized people either in the U.S. or around the world. It does take some work, and you're not going to have a mutual fund manager that's going to do that work for you. There is no moral dividend that they care about. 30 years ago, 
when the Exxon Valdez, they destroyed the coastline with a massive oil spill and negligence on their part. I made a point to not fill up at their filling stations when I had a choice. I also found that most of the other oil companies had things that I didn't like. So the real choice that made the biggest impact was I make a point of being able to bike to work or work from home or avoid driving. And year round, rain or shine, I bike my son to school one very clear way have made a big difference in how I spend my money. If you think that one person can't make a difference, you might be surprised to find that lots of people living out their values have massive impact on how companies see the market. If they think the market doesn't care about something, then they will go ahead and abuse it. When the market starts to care about it, then companies start to care about it. One way that Martin Luther King was able to underscore the social, spiritual, economic, and policy efforts of his movement was to make members sign a pledge, which read like this. I hereby pledge myself, my person and body, to the nonviolent movement. Therefore, I will keep the following Ten Commandments. Number one, meditate daily on the teachings in life in Jesus. Number two, remember always that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Three, walk and talk in the manner of love. Four, pray daily to be used by God in order that all of us may be free. Five, sacrifice personal wishes in order that all might be free. Six, observe both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Seven, Seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. 8. Refrain from the violence of fist, tongue, or heart. 9. Strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health. 10. Follow the directions of the movement and of the captain on a demonstration. This formula wasn't just something that came to Martin Luther King Jr. through divine inspiration. He visited... Gandhi's home and walked in his footsteps in India in the 1950s, and he gave a sermon, which unfortunately there is no recording, but I will go ahead and read some excerpts. I would say the first thing that we must see about this life is that Mahatma Gandhi was able to achieve for his people independence through nonviolent means. I think you should underscore this. He did it with the spirit of Jesus Christ in his heart and the love of God and this was all he had. And yet, he was able to achieve independence from the largest empire in the history of this world. India had been under the domination of the British Empire for many years. And under the domination of the British Empire, the people of India suffered all types of exploitation. And you think about the fact that while Britain was in India, that out of a population of 400 million people, more than 365 million of these made less than $50 a year, and more than half had to be spent on taxes to the empire. Gandhi looked at all of this. He looked at his people as they lived in ghettos and hovels and as they lived out on the streets. Even today, after being exploited for so many years, they haven't been able to solve those problems. For we landed in Bombay, India, and I will never forget it that night 
We got up early in the morning to take the plane to Delhi, and as we rode out to the airport, we looked out on the street and saw people sleeping out on the sidewalks and out in the streets and everywhere we went. Walked to the train station, and you can't hardly get to this train because people are sleeping on the platforms, no homes to live in, nowhere to sleep, making no more than 15 or $20 a year. And this was the exploitation that Mahatma Gandhi noticed years ago. And even more than that, these people were humiliated and embarrassed and segregated in their own land. There were places that the Indian people could not even go. The British had come in there and set up clubs in other places and hotels where Indians could not enter. Gandhi looked on all of this as a young lawyer. He went over to South Africa and there he saw, again, Indians being exploited. And one day, he was taking a train to Pretoria, and he had a first-class accommodation on that train. And when they came to take the tickets, they noticed that he was an Indian, and that he had a brown face. And they told him to get out and move on to the third class. He wasn't supposed to be there. And Gandhi that day refused to move, and they threw him off the train. And there, in that cold station, that night, he stayed, and he started meditating on his plight and the plight of his people. And he decided, from that point on, that he would never submit himself to injustice. It was there on that day that he called a meeting of all the Indians in South Africa in that region, and told them what had happened, and told them what was happening. We must do something about it. We must organize ourselves to rid our community, the South African community, and also the Indian community back home of the domination and exploitation of foreign powers, he said. But Mahatma Gandhi came to something else in that moment. As he started organizing his forces in South Africa, he read the Sermon on the Mount. He later read the works of the American poet David Thoreau and the Russian author Tolstoy. And he found something in all of this that gave him insight. In the Bible, he read, Turn the other cheek, resist evil with good, blessed are the meek. And all of these things inspired him to no end. And so this he combined into a new method. And he said to his people, Now, it's possible to resist evil. This is your first responsibility. Never adjust to evil. Resist it. But if you can resist it without resorting to violence or to hate, you can stand up against it and still love the individuals who carry on the evil system that you are resisting. And a few years later, he won victory in South Africa, and he went back to India, where his people called on him and his leadership to organize them. And you've read about the Salt March, which was a very significant thing in the Indian struggle. And this demonstrates how Gandhi used this method of nonviolence and how he would mobilize his people and galvanize the whole world to bring about victory. You see, in India, the British had come to the point where they were charging the Indian people attacks on all of the salts, and they would not allow them even to make their own salt from all of the salt seas around the country. They couldn't touch it. It was against the law. And he decided one day that they would march down to a place called Dandi, we had the privilege of spending a day or so at that Sabardi ashram where Gandhi used to live and meditate. 
and we stood there at the point where Gandhi started his long walk of 218 miles to the sea. And he started there walking with 80 people, and gradually the number grew to a million, and then it grew to millions and millions. And finally they kept walking and walking until they reached the little village of Dandi. And there Gandhi went on and reached down in the river, or in the sea rather, and brought up a little salt in his hand to demonstrate and dramatize the fact that they were breaking this law in protest against the injustice that they had faced all over the country over the years. And Gandhi said to his people, if you are hit, don't hit back. Even if they shoot at you, don't shoot back. If they curse you, don't curse back. But just keep moving. Some of us might have to die before we get there. Some of us might be thrown in jail before we get there. But let us just keep moving. And they kept moving. And they walked and walked. And millions of them had gotten together when they finally reached that point. And the British Empire knew then that this little man had mobilized the people of India to the point that they could never defeat them. He was able to mobilize and galvanize more people then in his lifetime than any other person in the history of this world. And just with a little love in his heart and understanding goodwill and a refusal to cooperate with evil. And this, I think, is one of the most significant things that has ever happened in the history of the world. And more than 390 million people achieved their freedom because of it. And the significant thing is that when you follow this way, if you ask the Indian people today who they love more, what people, whether they love Americans more or British, they'll say to you immediately that they love the British more. The night we had dinner with the Prime Minister Nehru, the person who sat at the dinner table with us as a guest of the Prime Minister at the time, was Lady Mountbatten, the wife of Lord Mountbatten, who was the Viceroy of India when it received its independence. And they're marvelous and great and lasting friends, these two. There's a lasting friendship there. And this is only because Gandhi followed the way of love and nonviolence, beloved community, so that when the battle is over, it's over, and love remains, and a new understanding remains, and a new relationship blossoms. So why do I include the story from Martin Luther King speaking about the story of Gandhi before him? Well, it seems appropriate as this is the last podcast before the 2020 election. It's a good time for us to reflect on what it truly means to be an activist, that no matter what happens next, we know deep down that the only way that can work for us is reconciliation and a search for living prophets that will help us in our understanding in these unsettled times. Well, this has been another episode of the Living Prophets podcast. I appreciate you listening to the end, and please share this with your friends. Like us on whatever podcast app you use, because that makes a huge difference in whether people can find it. And until next time, stay safe.